Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine. I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. Okay, it's my turn. I picked a story called On Seeing the 100% Perfect Girl One Beautiful April Morning by Haruki Murakami, who is a writer that we've apparently featured in another story I apparently picked. <laughs> I barely recall. <laughs> but I, I forget how I came across this. It's always like on a list of whatever. And uh, I really liked it. So I'm going to start by reading from the beginning here. One beautiful April morning on a narrow side street in Tokyo's fashionable Harajuku neighborhood, I walked past the 100% perfect girl. Tell you the truth, she's not that good looking. She doesn't stand out in any way. Her clothes are nothing special. The back of her hair is still bent out of shape from sleep. She isn't young either. Must be near 30, not even close to a girl, properly speaking. But still, I know from 50 yards away, she's the 100% perfect girl for me. The moment I see her, there's a rumbling in my chest and my mouth is as dry as a desert. Maybe you have your own particular favorite type of girl, one with slim ankles, say, or big eyes, or graceful fingers, or you're drawn for no good reason to girls who take their time with every meal. I have my own preferences, of course. Sometimes in a restaurant, I'll catch myself staring at the girl at the table next to mine because I like the shape of her nose. But no one can insist that his 100% perfect girl correspond to some preconceived type. Much as I like noses, I can't recall the shape of hers, or even if she had one. All I can remember for sure is that she was no great beauty. It's weird. Yesterday on the street, I passed the 100 100% girl, I tell someone. Yeah, he says, good looking. Not really. Your favorite type then? I don't know. I can't seem to remember anything about her, the shape of her eyes or the size of her breasts. Strange. Yeah, strange. So anyhow, he says, already bored. What did you do? Talk to her? Follow her? Nah, just passed her on the street. She's walking east to west and I west to east. It's a really nice April morning. Wish I could talk to her. Half an hour would be plenty. Just ask her about herself, tell her about myself and what I'd really like to do. Explain to her the complexities of fate that have led to our passing each other on a side street in Harajuku on a beautiful April morning in 1981. This was something sure to be crammed full of warm secrets like an antique clock build when peace filled the world. After talking, we'd have lunch somewhere, maybe see a Woody Allen movie, stop by a hotel bar for cocktails. With any kind of luck, we might end up in bed. Potentiality knocks on the door of my heart. Now the distance between us is narrow to 15 yards yeah this is a i thought pretty simple story i read almost half of it it's pretty short <laughs> you mean just yeah. now yeah yeah but when i read it it was just one of those stories that i like and i'll probably remember because i think it's a really common experience that you run into a stranger and think to yourself not just like oh that's a pretty stranger <laughs> like that happens a lot right but every once in a while you like see someone and you feel like you recognize them or something you're like oh my god like that's my type and not just like my type like it could be i feel like i've had a similar experience like with people that i don't want to have sex with <laughs> where you're like oh i kind of recognize like there's something about like this person that i feel like i would really hit it off with like if you've ever like been at a bar or something and, like you overhear a girl like making a joke you're like we could probably be friends you know uh, or like there's there's situations like this i feel like that happen every once in a while and they do feel rare and unique when you think to yourself like that's a perfect stranger but there's something about that perfect stranger that i feel like i could really get along with and i don't know what it is and it's not just physical he's mostly talking about it being physical but he's also kind of saying like i don't know what about it physically is the thing i just love 
this idea. And the whole time in this story, he's uh, talking about what he might do. But it's all around this concrete scenario where he's actually walking toward this girl. He's not just talking about walking towards girls like this, you know? Yeah. He's talking about all the common occurrences, but in this moment, he's walking towards one in particular. I like that aspect of that, of this as being like, this whole thing is all hypotheticals. Yeah. It's just like, I pass a girl in the street and then it just spools out all the different like possibilities that could have, because right after where, where you left off with was, uh, how can I approach her? What should I say? And then yeah. answering that question is everything else. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times if I've ever written a story like this that explores hypotheticals, which I feel like I've done, you know, because sometimes the only way to like capture a feeling that you have or a sensation that you have or like a truth that you have is to like discuss it in hypotheticals. I, of course, can't think of any good example right now. But <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a feeling, right? This is capturing yes, a feeling yeah. too. He's talking about the feeling, but, he, but he's got this concrete scenario too. The feeling is what happens in your head, right? Yeah. And it's spooling out all the hypotheticals. It's like you see somebody in the crowd and nothing happens, but you yeah. get this something happens in your head where you're spooling yeah. out ideas and you get feelings about those ideas. And that's what he's exploring here. It feels like is yeah. how that works, which is kind of you can't do that anywhere but fiction, man. <laughs> that's what I love about fiction. Yeah. And uh, to your point, nothing happens here, right? So if he did tell this story to a friend, it would happen the way I just read, where yeah. the friend's like, it'd be a lot cooler if you did, <laughs> you know? And then I found $5, like, there's nothing good about this plot or this premise, except what he experienced in his head, which he can't even articulate, even though he wants to. So it's like only like through this story, like you said, only through fiction that we can come away from it thinking to ourselves like, yeah, me too. Which like some of my favorite writing, I remember like doing this in high school, I would just like underline sentences in books that I did it a lot with Jane Eyre. <laughs> <laughs> which if I had to read that book now, I'd be like, why the hell did I like this? But back then I remember like when I would read that book, I would underline these sentences that I would just remember thinking to myself like, wow, this like articulates this like deep seated truth that I know, but I've never been able to articulate it. I wouldn't even have attempted to or felt like I needed to. But like sometimes you read something and you're like, wow, I really strongly identify with this. This is like, this is why writing is so powerful, at least like why I came to it is because anytime I've ever written a story, it's usually that I want to articulate something that I'm feeling because I want someone else to read it and go, yeah, like I know that feeling. I recognize it too, but like you put it down in a certain way. So I love stories like this where you read it and you're like, yeah, me too. And it almost makes you wish that you had written it before this guy, you know, because you've yeah. experienced it too, like in a raw, real way. And like, if you're a writer, then you've also romanticized it in your own life where you thought to yourself, like, this is beautiful, you know, or you've, you've thought about writing about it. A lot of the stories I've written have been, I wake up from a dream and it's like you're dreaming and then you're awake and there's a feeling that that dream this doesn't happen very often but every once in a while it's like yeah. you're in a situation within the dream and you're like oh my gosh what was that feeling that was a weird feeling and then I, I obsess over it because I want to capture it I, I want to yeah. work with it like I want to get that feeling onto, onto the page right and sometimes it's not the case that oh, I can just transcribe the dream and recapture it because there's so much more going on you know like right. uh, whatever the situation in the dream was if I just told that it's not enough it's the 
way in which things are related to each other. It's all the invisible stuff around it that kind of informs the feeling. Even this story, it's like they're just two people passing. It's everything that happens in his head that creates the feeling. But there's been a few stories that I've written that have just mostly really short things because it's yeah. just like you want to capture a single feeling. There was one dream I had where it was just like me and somebody talking at a party and there's the feeling I had about the conversation was enough. But when I tried to write it as if we were talking at a party, it could not work. I had to totally change the place. But that feeling was the thing I was going after. And I, yeah, I love that for fiction. That's what fiction is about. I know we've talked about this in past episodes as kind of a takeaway or a prompt, but every once in a while, I'll write down something that's like an idea for a character, or it's usually an idea for a feeling like this. And I haven't figured out a way to make it worth a full story. So I'll like put it on a list. And then like sometimes later, I'll like shoehorn it into a premise or a plot. And sometimes that works. But what I really like about this is like, I don't know how he came up with it, like what came first, you know, but I love that uh, it works seamlessly with the exact scenario, right? And it probably works this way because this is a purely hypothetical situation every time it happens, right? He's probably not often going up to girls that he finds attractive. (laughs) He's probably not often going up to them and saying like, I think you're beautiful. What if we went and got drinks? You know, that doesn't happen, especially in 1981. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Maybe that was the only way it happened back then. They didn't have uh, apps. No. Yeah. You can slide into a DM later. (laughs) But this is a situation, like I said, where he's probably never seen it through, you know? So when it comes up again, he's and it's going to come up again after this. He's going to run into another girl. He's like, oh, my God, that's the one. But is he going to do anything about it? Probably not. So it kind of works seamlessly that way, too. I wonder, there's probably a whole school of scenarios that fit that bill that you could write a story about feeling wise where it's kind of like missed opportunities like that whole craigslist section what's it missed connections and it's not it doesn't just have to be like uh, like connections with strangers but it just can be like just just missed opportunities like every time you thought you could pay for someone's groceries when they were looking for their credit card or every time you thought you could like adopt that stray cat right like all these like things that you know you've experienced before and will experience again and like why you did or didn't take action kind Kind of, and it still can be made into the story because, like you said, only fiction can capture like that feeling that you experience. In every situation, it's like a story of nothing happened, I didn't do it. But in your head, there's a shit ton going on. Like every time you didn't stand up for someone in public or in school, or every time you didn't say something kind, or every time you bit your tongue when you could have said something horrific. Like, yeah, it seems, it seems like that would be a good prompt, like right about missed opportunities, but in the hypothetical or something. But like we said, what makes it really strong. Is that there was a specific a hypothetical kind of scenario is an interesting one to write like as a it's an interesting mode to write in yeah one of the things like i was thinking about with this story was and this feeds into how it's presenting hypotheticals is how the tenses work and you know i don't i assume he wrote this in japanese originally and it was translated oh, sure. so i don't know how japanese tenses translate into english tenses or how carefully the translator yeah, lined that yeah, stuff yeah. up so it's hard to make commentary on that and it's Especially this one has a typo. There's a couple of typos. This version of it, I assume, are mistakes. Like one of the ones you read was, uh, no one can insist that his 100% perfect girl correspond to some, there's supposed to be an S in there, corresponds to some preconceived type or ED corresponded to. I assume it's an S because it, this section's in the right. present tense. But it switches like the first paragraph is past tense. I walked past. Tell you the truth, she's now, it's present tense. She's not that good looking. She doesn't stand out in any way. And like we relive that walk 
walk in the next section when he's trying to think like he talks to his friend which is in the future like beyond that moment and then he tells her no we just passed in the street and then all of a sudden we're back in the moment in the present tense she's walking east to west and i west to east it's a really nice it's you know it is currently it is it's a really nice april morning so we're embedded within that moment in the present moment and we're going to do that walk with him while he spins out these hypotheticals it's like what should i say to her like now the distance between us is narrow to 15 yards how can i approach her what should i say and then the rest is him thinking about what he should say and then the last sent last line is yes that's it that is what i should have said to her it's past tense again it's like a lost yeah. opportunity but again the translation i'm not sure i don't know but as far as an english story goes yeah like that is stuff to think about like how you're presenting hypotheticals is like are they future tense stuff is it yeah. a present tense moment where is your point of view yeah i feel like that can get really messy with all those tenses possibilities and stuff yeah yeah it gets really messy like as a reader i feel like i feel like the writer always is like well i did it this way because of this and i'm like yeah but did you read it back like it's so jarring to like <laughs> yeah you, you have know, to be careful with that here. yeah you have to be like following some kind of rule well the rule is and i think this is just the guiding rule for everything is like you have to pay attention to what the reader is experiencing with every sentence you write down how do you get from sentence at this sentence to the next one to the next one to the next one what does the reader have to like where is the reader's attention in this sentence how does that attention get shifted in the next one and shifted again in the next one because every sentence is just another moment in the unfolding of what you're trying to uh, like lead them through right? right so if you lead them like along a disjointed kind of pathway they're going to get lost but if you just guide them gently from moment to moment then they'll follow through it and it'll be seamless and they won't even notice that you're shifting tenses and doing all this fancy stuff they'll just be like oh i'm i'm along with you and that's where revision that's why you have to revise and make sure it all makes sense anyway that's my theory of things anyway let's yeah it's an interesting I try way to, to impart at the it. workshop yeah i feel like uh sometimes writers just want you to know that they did it correctly and if you're confused it's because you weren't paying close enough attention but if you're yeah a lot of times if you're writing something like this that is jumping like this is not a common not how we commonly dish these stories out so yeah you do have to like kind of hold my hand we talk about that with like world building i think that a lot of like style guides and and style guides i guess mostly if, if you adhere too closely to them you're gonna get your writing's gonna come off as really clunky and you're gonna get yeah. these moments when it's just like it doesn't flow because you're adhering too much to the style guide you're like i how i can't do that even though the natural way to do it would be that thing that breaks the rule the, the right. style rule and certain kinds of writing you know if you're writing academic writing or maybe journalism like you have to follow ap style the style is there because the thing you're writing has to conform to a certain way of being presented but in fiction it's different you're not giving information like a journalist would be it's like yeah you know what's happening on fifth street this week you are guiding them through an experience of some emotion and so the style guide doesn't address that right style, style guide is for some others how to impart information that's clear fiction does something else and that's why learn grammar learn the appropriate ways to phrase things so that it makes sense to people but then throw away the style guide when you actually write it and just think about how the sentences fit together to get the reader through it anyway i could rant about that <laughs> yeah and i think it's easy to kind of say like you got to do it like this but it's harder to give you an exact roadmap for how to do it except that well, you have to yeah. reread your own writing and like if you do get feedback from multiple people saying like <laughs> yeah. take that into consideration so 
sometimes I think people will write a story and they think that they've done it correctly or they've hinted enough at something and then multiple people read it and they're like, I didn't get it. Or, oh, I didn't know that that's what happened. You could tell yourself that nobody read your work closely enough and they all suck. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, a lot of times that's like true. Like I'll read a story and I'm like, I didn't get that. Maybe it's because I wasn't like paying full attention and I'm like not the most, uh, I don't pick everything up the first time I read something, you know? I consider myself like relatively smart, but (laughs) sometimes I read shit and I'm like, oh, I didn't get that. Oh, I do that all the time. I read the first page of something and I'm just distracted by whatever. Yeah. So I'm not reading every word as clearly as I could. Yeah, it's tough. and like you could tell yourself that like your perfect reader will not be distracted. Your perfect reader will understand these subtleties or you can like be kind of honest with yourself and say, I need to do something about this that, like you said, leads the reader through a certain experience better. Do you remember that story? I think it was uh, Yun Shui. It's called The Art of Losing. Yeah. And we both read it and we both missed that on the first page, it just perfectly lays out exactly what's going on. But we somehow got confused by it. <laughs> like when you go back and read it, you're like, it's all here. It's all yeah. here but That's for whatever like, reason yeah this feels like loosely related but we've talked about this a lot where like especially in the workshop you've gotten this criticism if you use big words and multiple people don't know what they mean sometimes you'll get the feedback that you need to dumb it down essentially and it's like well no this is the perfect word for this thing i'm sorry you don't know it idiot so we talk a lot about like your audience will either pick it up through context clues or or they'll know it or they'll be willing god forbid to google it it's not like you got to go through a fucking dictionary anymore people like ask siri and maybe learn a new word or two and i think about all the time like the new yorker in particular i subscribed to that for a while and you can never keep up but anytime you like actually sit down and read it you like you inevitably have to google shit and the new yorker wants you to have to do that because they don't want to have to dumb it down for you they think of themselves as the most brilliant writers you know these are the words that come naturally to them and god for like they're not gonna change it so i think about that too with like um some of this type of writing it's like maybe you want your reader to have to reread the story to fully appreciate it you have to admit that to yourself though before you tell me that i missed it you know yeah like oh you're an idiot it's right there i laid it all out i'm like okay well if you're gonna be one of these clever writers that wants me to like know that everything is has a different interpretation on second read admit that to yourself and then admit what comes with that which is that most readers aren't gonna reread it so what do you really want do you want people to like understand it or do you have like a higher expectation for your audience you know because then you have to be like realistic about the feedback that you're gonna get because you're gonna get idiots like us that are like oh it was right there if you want to do that in the story where you make your story, if you want your story to be read in a certain way, you can't just expect your reader to read in that way. You have to give them a reason to do it. Yeah. And so at the beginning of your story, you set something up so that they realize what you're doing. Right. They have to come to it. They have to like right. say, oh, that's how I read this story. Yeah. It's not just some like little drama that I'm going to engage in. It's a puzzle too. And you set that up in the beginning so that they know that later on there's going to be another puzzle and another puzzle and it's going to like build up on that. And so then they can enjoy that as they're doing it. But if you expect them to, to know that your story is a puzzle ahead of time, yeah, all that's thrown out. It makes me think there's uh, the movie The Sixth Sense. When that yeah. came out, I saw that in the theater three times because I wanted to see it with different audiences. It's laid out at the end of the movie what the twist is, right? But then I went and saw it with another group who didn't know there was a twist and another group who didn't know it was a twist. And then years later, somebody was like, oh, I saw that movie and I guessed the twist. And I was like, that's because you knew there was a twist. You could guess it if you know it. But when we saw it, when, you know, those of us who saw it in the theater, when it first came out, had no idea there was a twist. We didn't right, know this was a twisty movie. We weren't reading twisty. it that way. 
Now anything M. Night Shyamalan does, it's like, okay, let's go look for the twist. We're going to try to guess what the twist is. And so he has to get increasingly bizarre with his stuff. But when that movie came out, that wasn't how you read it. That wasn't how you watched yeah. it. You thought you were doing something else. And then the twist yeah. came. I think uh, short stories don't benefit the same way books do with like a book jacket. Yeah, So we, we talk about that all the time. Like, uh, not that I'm like a published author or anything, but I always like tell, like when people are like, I hope people get it. I'm like, no offense, but if this high level concept novel were to ever make it to market like you'd have a publisher or an agent that would like just fucking gut it for you that just like undercut the point so that they could sell it because nobody's gonna sell harry potter and be like but you got to figure out that it's about wizards no that's the whole fucking point it's about wizards yeah you're not gonna have to figure out it's a fantasy novel just like you're not gonna have to figure out it's a mystery novel they're gonna that's they're gonna they make the cover what? look the way they do yeah exactly i mean you like, can that's... judge a book by its cover because the publishers you absolutely want can. you to you absolutely can and so with short stories you don't get that but like even with like the sixth sense like we'd have to do some digging and find some of these original trailers because like there's multiple trailers typically and a lot of times these trailers will hint at what it is you're supposed to guess you know or they'll hint at the fact that there is a twist because they'll literally say things like but you won't see this coming and it like always like you know these trailers that become more and more detailed they give away the entire movie for the sixth sense the trailers were basically they focused in on Hallie Joel Osment saying I see dead people and that's yeah. what we thought we were seeing it's just a little like, like a there's horror. a kid yeah. who sees dead people and like all the story wrapped around that and nothing to do with Bruce Willis. Yeah. He was just the guy that we were like experiencing the right. kid with. And that was the story we were sold. And it's like that movie Hancock, which whatever, forgettable movie. But the trailers for that was like drunk Superman who's like an asshole. And yeah. then he's going to straighten his life out. And that's right. what the movie is until about halfway through when you realize, no, they're they're twisting it. It's something right. different that wasn't even teased in the trailer. Yeah. When I saw the trailer, I thought to myself, oh, they've given away the whole movie. And I said that to my friend who had seen the movie and he was like, yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw the movie and I was like, you asshole, you knew. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So great point. And there are stories that you want to discover the way you discover that movie. You don't necessarily want to be able to guess, right? Yeah. Because the experience is that there is a twist. But for a situation yeah. like this, like you definitely want to know, like kind of upfront, like what you're getting into. Yeah. This is well, yeah. So I went on a divergence. We went on, we went on a bizarre tangent, but but <laughs> but I I mean it's all it's all fire advice. Oh, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this story other than I really just liked the premise. I liked that this story does what, like I said, a lot of times I feel like I'm trying to do with just like capture a feeling. And then it like doesn't stretch beyond that, right? He doesn't try to make this longer than it needs to be. He captures it quickly and kind of like leaves you with it. So I think the length is perfect. I like that it has the concrete premise, but it's not like a complicated one either. What's complicated and unique is like what he does with the hypotheticals in his head. And like my only kind of takeaway from this would be that oftentimes when I'm thinking about capturing a feeling, I do what I said. I put it in a list of ideas that don't feel full enough to execute, right? And then I think I'll come back to that later and combine it with something else. But sometimes you could just like go with that exact premise. Like just go with something like and just just write something really short. Like if you have a feeling that you want to capture, just write about one instance of that feeling and see if you can do it. Yeah, that's what a short story is, right? Just yeah. a feeling. You're getting, getting a feeling. You just want to capture something. Yeah, so my takeaway is is basically I'm thinking about the structure of this and it, it's such a moment, right? Yeah. I was fascinated by the way he starts with one day I walked past this girl and then, then he's telling his friend about it, you know, and just the time jumps and then it's like reliving the moment and thinking about what yeah. he should have done and could have done and just the way that his, it's following a thought process. Right. A totally relatable kind of like ordinary thought process that jumps around and I like that so much. 
So my takeaway is just kind of what I said before about guiding the reader through things, you know, using tense, using point of view, using uh, that kind of thing, like even a, just a, um, a stream of consciousness, not style, but a stream of consciousness structure to guide the way the story unfolds. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, a, it's like a rumination, but it's a rumination about concrete events and things that are actually happening that you can dramatize. So that's my takeaway is just thinking about how that's structured. It's really, really well structured too. Yeah. And the way, you know, the whole after when it has this, how can I approach her? What should I say? And then it spools out these hypotheticals and then he realizes, no, this is what I should say. And uh, he spools out how that would work and gets to the ending, which is, yes, that's it. That is what I should have said to her. Yeah. And like, that's the end of it. It's it's just really, I love the structure of this. It's so well done as Good well shit. as capturing that emotion. No wonder it was published. <laughs> I mean, Murakami is an amazing writer, so. (laughs) That's a ringing endorsement from J.C. Bronstead. All right, thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at NaplesWritersWorkshop.com.